0: You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. X-Men.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast. where We rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, the bad boy of X-Men podcast.
0: Are you doing like a Max Headroom thing? What, are, what is going on right yeah, now? Yeah, I didn't mean to, but then it's I I
1: accidentally stuttered because sometimes I like legitimately stutter. I, mm-hmm. I, we're going to get back to... My, How I got to Max Headroom. But Adam, I don't think I've ever told you this. Uh, When I was in 10th grade, someone at the lunch table asked me, so Zach, what was it like growing up with a stutter? And I was like, that's weird.
0: I grew up with a stutter.
1: I did not know this about myself. Turns out, turns out I did. And no one told me.
0: Oh, that's awful.
1: I mean, like the school said, hey. He's fine, but let's throw him into some speech therapy for a little bit. But apparently, I had a stutter. I did not know this.
0: Huh. See, I was always under the impression that you, like, because you've talked about going to speech therapy before. I always thought that that was like something. Have I? Yeah, you've mentioned it on the show before. I mentioned a lot of things on this show, Adam, I do not recall. <laughs> no, but I don't ever recall this, like, this this intervention story of, like, some friend of yours saying I mean, that off the cuff. You say
1: intervention, it was me having lunch and Maggie told just saying, hey, Zach, what was that like? And I was like, I don't know, Maggie, I didn't know I had that, that's weird. <laughs> Thank you for telling me, question mark. Oh, that's,
0: that's I went home and so I asked weird. my
1: mom, I said, mom, did I have a, mom? Did I have a stutter? She's like, "Oh yeah, a little bit, Zach. We got that fixed." Oh, and I said, "Oh, did you?" Okay, <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did nice to you, know. Mom? Okay. Anyway, but because I did that, then I remembered that this is a Mojo episode, so I was like, "Max Headroom, perfect. Let's go." That's yes,
0: yes. Yeah, so last week was Zach's pick, and we we had some, we had a really good time with those IVX Far Cloud stories. Um, so this week was my pick, and I decided, okay, we're going to do three mojo stories, and then I picked three mm, mojo stories. <laughs> what?
1: So Adam, what was Adam right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna break the kayfabe here. Yeah, we were we were talking we were talking you and I and our our mutual friend Anna Papard, uh, yes. friend of the show. Uh huh. Right before this, and I asked Anna. Are there any good mojo stories?
0: Because she <laughs> thought our picks were atrocious. Yes. She has told me they they were bad, and I we're gonna we're gonna talk about them. <laughs> oh not- Adam! We should have done oh Adam! We messed up. We There's so many we could have so many. It's true. We should have done- we should have done the Uncanny Adventures annual. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been fun. Uh listen. So that one's got we, a Himbo Havoc in it. We we agreed before we got on the air that three solid ones are Wild Ways, which we've never covered, uh, but we've also already covered Mojo Mayhem and we've already covered uh the long shot mini. You have posited the idea that maybe there are no good mojo stories and there are. They're few and far between. It's true. But but some writers get what to do with this character more than others, wouldn't you say? I think there are
1: some writers who get what to do with Mojo more than others. I think that's fair to say. I also think that Mojo, Mojo is a trick. Mojo is a trap Mm. for a lot of people. It's a character that's like, oh, you should, we should do a Mojo story. And here's the answer. Nah, you really shouldn't do a mojo story. You should do something else with your limited time here on Earth than a mojo story. <laughs> and then they do a mojo story.
0: I love how you just YOLO'd every X-Men writer. <laughs> You're like, you don't have time for this in your short, pitiful existence. Get to something else.
1: <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I, I will say, there has been about one writer who used their uh, their time to do a mojo story, their limited time, very appropriately, and that was Grace Frund, who did a Mojo story on uh, X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic uh, about Mojo Jr. the second. Oh, I haven't read that. That sounds fun. Hey, Adam, it's it's great. I don't want to spoil it, but it's one of the best things that they put on that Marvel Unlimited uh. Uh, or that. Yeah, the X-Men Unlimited. You should, Adam that's yeah. our next pick. Our next pick should be an X-Men Unlimited catch-up.
0: Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, because there's a bunch of stuff that I've been meaning to, you know, I read it sporadically so I miss big arcs. Uh, like, I feel like but I need to write, like... read that Sunfire Red Roots thing because that's kind of tying into the books now and I don't know. There's just stuff
1: I should read. I do think it's funny. Spoiler, spoilers, spoilers, TMTM for X-Men Red that just came out this week. Uh, I do think it's funny that Sunfire is like Apocalypse was doing a classical elements magic spell, and yeah. Sunfire was not fire. I think that's very funny. And then I do <laughs> think that Apocalypse's demon guy said, "You're kind of stretching this, big guy." Uh, when yeah, he's that was a really great. Doing one
0: magical spell. That was a really great scene because, like, it really did seem apparent that Al probably wanted to use Richter, and like, has Apocalypse say that, and is like, "Hey, you got to work with what you got." <laughs> It was a great I don't know if Al moment. wanted Al wanted
1: Apocalypse to use Richter or that using Richter would have made thematic sense with everything else that's going on. Uh or that well with what has gone on with the apocalypse story. However, Richter has been de emphasized uh yeah. in the Krokoan era since the end of uh Knights of X. It's true. Uh, it's true. And it's like, oh, we him. can't reintroduce him. We gotta use we gotta use the stuff that we already have, we're already pulling too much.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those moments where you kind of see the writer's voice coming through <laughs> the character. I, I Which would never that. happen in a mojo story. <laughs> no, uh, no. So um, even though this is this is an Adam uh, Pick show, uh, we do have to thank our, our very uh, gracious patrons uh, who help run this show. So That's the thing, Adam. That's
1: the thing about our supporters over on Patreon.com. Slash bow the Adam. They reach deep down into their hearts, their pocketbooks, and toss a couple coins into our coffers. Uh, largely so that our audience can be in control of the show, and you're not at the whims of me and Adam playing <laughs> pranks on each other. Apparently. And then also ourselves. Because yes. here's the here's the beauty of it. Adam's like, oh, we should do a mojo episode. That sounds fun. And then he had to find mojo stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do have three Mojo stories for you this week, folks, and, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to apologize. Last week, we had a lot of fun talking about those those uh, Terrigen Mist stories, so I, I don't see any reason why we can't have any fun this week. However, this first one, it really did, like, really made me grip my teeth a little bit because this, <laughs> this is Uncanny X-Men 464 to 461 mojo rising by chris claremont and not alan davis who is drawing the book as part of this era uh unfortunately this is a two-issue fill-in by tom rainey and um tom doesn't quite have the chops that uh, mr davis does i think tom rainey's fine but it's
1: this is this is sandwiched between alan davis and chris Bachelow. so you're uh you're just going to look bad by comparison. Uh, no yeah. Matter what you so, do. But
0: Rain Rainy is like, he's
1: doing his best Davis in this.
0: He's trying. He's trying. It's just that because this is a, a mojo story, um, we do have a lot of sort of almost like Excalibur esque hijinks going on, especially in the second issue that I feel like Alan Davis. I would, I would say that those Excalibur esque
1: hijinks are actually like a feature of what Claremont was doing
0: in this run on uncanny. It
1: at least like up until this arc.
0: Yeah. It feels like something that would work really, really well with Alan Davis's style. But when Tom is doing it, it it just doesn't have the same, like it doesn't land as well. You know, he's just not as, as listen, I like a lot of Tom Rainey's art. I, I think he's, very talented, but it just doesn't land the same when it's not that collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what what is this story, Adam? Yeah. So this arc takes place in between uh their the X-Men's return from the Savage Land after Rachel was turned into a dinosaur. Um so great that's story thing. you can
1: hear that on a old episode that I did with uh Miles Stokes from Jay and Miles.
0: Yeah And then what comes after this is, um, wow, it's end of greys. So this is a very weird sort of transition point for, you know, between these stories and the first issue mainly centers around the fact that Psylocke has come back from the dead and needs to get reintroduced to the X campus, um, which is currently being occupied mainly by the astonishing team. Then, the second issue is mainly about Mojo stopping by. There's some exiles nonsense. And uh, I guess that's about it. I mean, like, it's just basically some tomfoolery that's happening.
1: There is there is some tomfoolery. Uh, I'll say the first issue does a lot of things. And a lot of it, what it does is Chris Claremont
0: saying, hey, this is what's happening in every other X-Men book right now. <laughs> it's very much that. You know, um, it also has the unfortunate scene of, gosh, this really does gross me out. Um, I know it does. I, yeah, there's a checkup scene where Beast is examining Psylocke in the medical bay, and um, she asks, "How did you know it was me? That it was really me?" And he basically, like, says he used his senses, and so he oh god this is gross he <laughs> I love I want to hear you describe this Adam please right, tell I've our got, listeners what, what the beast does uh, he sniffs her he rubs yes. his paw on her and then he licks her neck Um, yes as you do have you not had a dog it's uh it's definitely flirtatious he finishes this checkup by literally slapping Psylocke's butt As she gets up off the table, um, she kisses him on his dog mouse. And it's gross um, because these characters have no chemistry whatsoever before these this issue. And this scene is terrible. This
1: is something Chris Claremont would do. If Chris Claremont did this in Excalibur and Alan Davis drew, it, we'd be like, oh, Chris, you scamp. (laughs) I still think Chris is a scamp in this. This is this is very Chris Claremont. You scamp. Because you have that. And then you have a scene where Rachel comes back from the Savage Land after convincing herself she was a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, walks into her room to find uh, Colossus is alive and yep. making out with her girlfriend slash roommate, Rachel or Kitty. And Claremont is obviously like, no, I,
0: you don't understand. They were roommates joss they were roommates (laughs) right it is very clear and i think that is an enjoyable scene uh in contrast to the other one that um rachel not so happy to see colossus and um is is definitely jealous so that definitely works for me
1: rachel rachel is in this weird spot where she's like everyone keeps coming back to life except for my mom it's not fair and one rachel your mom famously did come back to life already. Two, <laughs> right. in between these stories, she comes back to life again and all the X Men kill her again. And three, you also came back from the dead like five years ago. So maybe pot and kettles <laughs> are something we need to talk about, Miss Gray.
0: It seems a little heavy handed, especially because then. Oh, I just one other little aside about the first issue is that because Claremont feels the need to comment on everything that's happening with X-Men right now, he's also inserting Enemy of the State into this, which is really funny. He's but he's inserting Phoenix and song into this. It's wild. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy.
1: So by the time um, this is also part of the weird time where he is writing X23. And he gives X twenty three the Fang costume. Yes, and um, do you know do you know the backstory of the Fang costume? Like in general, um, not the well, not the comic reason of why Wolverine wore it because he killed a dude. But no, like but isn't the, it?
0: It's originally a design that Cockrum came up with for one of his DC characters, isn't it? Well.
1: I don't know about that. I think maybe, but he wanted to put Wolverine in it and kind of as his sign off on the book, his handoff off to burn. He changed Wolverine's costume to the fang costume and burn tried to draw it for like a second. And you, we can see this in the, uh, that iron fist story uh, that you and oh, me right. ranked a couple yeah, years yeah. ago. He's wearing the fang costume. Yeah. Burn draws that one time and he's like, Nope, Nope. This sucks to draw. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> We're going back to the other one. Which I don't want to say. I don't want to be like sympathetic to John Byrne, but I understand. Like I'm not drawing all these little bones every time. I got twenty some pages to get through a month. Um,
0: uh, yeah, it's it's certainly not. They keep trying. They keep
1: trying to make the Fang costume happen, and I don't get it.
0: Well, now Dakin's wearing it, right? So I guess he's gonna yeah. stop wearing.
1: It. All right, he's so- gonna stop
0: wearing it soon. To keep it on Mojo, the second issue does have Mojo and Spiral showing up in the danger room and turning most of our ex-characters into ex-babies. Um, there's also a crossover with some of the characters from Exiles who are running around as lawyers. And he, Mojo is very upset that Psylocke's cybernetic spy eyes uh, have been re- removed, replaced, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, and he's just kind of like causing chaos here until the x men figure out how to get rid of him. Yeah,
1: Mojo's just just like messing around. He has a gene bomb which is oh, funny Jesus. except for clamor already used that joke.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and what's what's really wild is that the emotional arc of the second issue actually belongs to Juggernaut and Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this a commentary on Chuck Austin's X-Men?
1: Yes, because if you remember, Adam. Okay, (laughs) sorry. You you remember the end of Chuck Austin's X-Men? One, Sammy the the Squid Boy gets murder killed by Black Tom Cassidy. Yes, yes, the boy, longtime boyfriend. Yeah, and then. Zorn, who, we have to be clear, is Shen Zorn, Zorn's identical twin brother, not the Zorn that dressed, disguised himself as Magneto, disguising himself as himself. Right. Uh, the other one, the Beerfest Zorn, as I like to refer to him <laughs> as. Uh, he opened up the black hole in his head because Zorn had a star in his head and this Zorn has a black hole in his head because it's the opposite of a star. Anyway, and everyone went into a black hole, including Zorn. And uh, apparently black holes lead to the Mojo verse. Sure. That's, that's where Juggernaut's been.
0: I mean, look, all of this is fine. It's just, you know, it's a wild ride. You know, Claremont is trying to pack in so, so much into just these two issues about so many different books. And, you know, as well as Claremont juggles things, it just, it, it can't it can't hope to like tie all together because there's just too much going on, you know, and the tones are switching back and forth, depending on which, you know, senior in, you know, he wants there to be this high drama, but then there's ex babies and, you know, it's like, well, what are we going for? You know, are we going for the media satire that usually comes with a mojo story or which going doesn't really the...
1: happen here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a mess. Hey, I've got a I've got a question, Adam. Sure.
1: Look at the uh look at the cover to this, the second issue to uh 460.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Done by uh <laughs> Does it
1: Frank Chow? Go ahead. Frank the tank. <laughs> yes. Uh the less the less said about him, the better, I guess. I don't I don't want to outrage anybody. But <laughs> I guess here's my question. Hold on. Oh no, I'm looking at the wrong one. Hold on. One second. Pause. Vamp, fam, 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 fam. Yeah. Okay. Here's my question, Adam. This comes not too long. Like, what? What does that cover remind you of? Does it remind you of anything? Because it reminds me of something pretty clearly. Oh, where he's
0: peeking around the corner.
1: Yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? What's that? It reminds me of an Ultimate Comics cover. Oh,
0: interesting.
1: It almost, it almost makes me think because look at that mojo. That mojo is off model. He has a beer bottle sticking out of his head. This is not normal mojo. Huh. It almost makes me think that they were going to use this for a uh, ultimate mojo. And then they switched things on ultimate mojo and they had this cover around. And that's why they went with
0: it. That is interesting because it does I don't... have the bars that you would see on. It has the ultimate bars. Comic. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, Zach. Good, good call.
1: I'm trying what? to see when the ultimate... Okay, the ultimate Spider-Man arc with Mojo comes... Oh, wait, actually, when is this out? When is this... Out? Okay, no, ult, the ultimate spider one's a year later, but the uh, the X-Men one was right before that. So maybe it was something they had going, or maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't really know, but I, it's weird.
0: Look, it, it it's an interesting note, um, you know, and probably... I listen, I don't want to call this uninteresting. Uh, Claremont is definitely trying to juggle all of these things. I just think ultimately it's unsuccessful. So um, I don't know if this is going to do so well on our big old list. Uh, why don't you tell our, our listeners what that is if they've never tuned in before?
1: Folks, if you've never tuned in before, I'm going to be honest. Like, we do try and make the show approachable. But again, <laughs> out of our attitude era, we are just doing this for us now. And if you want to listen along, that's fine. Uh, but but uh, we are we are not as concerned about approachability on this. And that happens when you rank 837 distinct X Men comics uh, wow. over the last too many years. So, many. Uh, ranking them from best to worst, with the best being House of X Powers of Ten. 100th being the Asgard Shear War from Mighty Thor. The 200th being two birthdays and three funerals from X-23. The 300th being the gentleman's name is Magneto from Uncanny X-Men 104. The 400th being Generation X Holiday Special. The 500th being Going Through the Motions, a thing that I'm doing as I read this list from Uncanny (laughs) X-Men 303. Cyclops Retribution from MCPs at 600. Number 700 is that Gladiator's Karma arc from New Mutants. Number 800 is Evil Destruction, a bad comic. And that worst X-Men comic of all times, you know what, you love it. It's X-Men 2099 World Tomorrow. It's just a regular no no X-Men. It's just regular 2099 World Tomorrow. But it's bad. Hey, Adam. Yeah. Do we have much uh, Where is where is that Rachel Dinosaur story? Oh, that's
0: a good question. I'm
1: not sure. That's at 552. That's at 552. This is worse oh, than that. Oh, I think that. this
0: is this is worse than that. You know, uh that has at least that has that Alan Davis art to kind of save it. You know, at least it looks nice. I'm looking. It looks into nice. The it's si- dumb, but it's it's a different kind of dumb than a yeah, lot of bad it's, stories. It's silly, but and it's certainly not trying to do as much as this. It's a little more straightforward. Um, I'm looking in the 700s here. I I, I think we're, mm. I think we're probably kind of low. You think this is worse than like Iceman
1: volume two icons? I think yeah. 700s a little low, buddy.
0: All right, so this is, this is
1: not worse than X-Men Die by the Sword at six sixty-nine.
0: All right. Okay. I can be convinced. Um I This is this is a better,
1: straightforward if continuity snarled comic. It is not whatever X-Men Die by the Sword is.
0: Better or worse than Trial of Juggernaut by our aforementioned friend Chuck Austin. Mm,
1: it's better than Trial of Juggernaut, I
0: think. All right, okay. So um probably are, not uh, as good as
1: Days of Future Pat of days of future present at 649
0: yeah i i think that is correct um i also think that wolverine 102 and 103 at 651 are better than this is this better or worse than exiles unnatural instincts
1: 16. Well, that would require me to remember any distinct exile story, which <sighs> I, I know, don't. That's
0: tough. That's really tough. Um, Here's what I'd
1: say. at Right above that is at 656 Magneto War, which I think is better than this, but at 657 okay. is X-Men one half Thrall. And I think this is better than that.
0: <laughs> All right. So this is going to be our new 657 Uncanny X-Men Mojo Rising. All right. That didn't do nearly as poorly as I thought it would. Now,
1: following following up on that, Adam, uh, you know how last week we were talking about uh, some of the bad comics that were going around in like twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. <laughs> sure. 2016, did, yeah. 2017, 2018 Some of the some of the rough times. Oh, I remember those. Yeah.
0: Adam, do you remember Marvel Legacy? I sure do. Yeah. Um, you know. I don't know if I necessarily remember more than the, like, cover treatments, though. Like, what was the actual editorial push on that? Like, what was that supposed to do? Just bring back legacy numbering? This was the last
1: push of Axel Alonso's time on as editor-in-chief. It was his last big initiative that he led up. And it was almost entirely across the line, back to basics. It was oh, right, coming out of right. Secret Empire. It was, we are going to bring everybody back to what everyone loves about these Marvel comics. So they brought back legacy numbering. Nearly all of the comics like had something to do with a classic villain or something. <sighs> so for the X-Men, what we got at them is a story <laughs> I know we all think about. Well, let's talk about the good. Let's talk about the good of Mojo Worldwide.
0: Mojo Worldwide. This is
1: this is the first crossover of the Resurrection line. Right. Which Oh, the other thing that they brought back. They brought back Corner Boxes, which was oh, another right. big yep. selling point of the Resurrection line. And I'm going to be honest, that's a bad selling point. Like,
0: <laughs> I like Corner Boxes, but that's not marketable, is it? I don't know. I mean, I like a good quarter box, but like, is that really helping if the story inside the comic is crap? And, um, folks, what we have here is a, I'm not joking, a six part X-Men gold X-Men blue crossover written by, we've got, uh, Mark Guggenheim on, mm, on the gold Marky mark. We've got, uh, Cohen Bunn on the blue and um, hey, hey 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 i just want to say i just want to say because this got brought up with un- unrelated
1: to the podcast but this got brought up with one of my friends this weekend colin bun doing his best always just man man put his all into it and i respect that because no one else was at the time
0: i want to get into this because i think we talked about this last week about you know we talked about two bun stories last week. Um I see, at least on my reread of this, a distinct quality difference between these two books. Do you not? <laughs> oh, I see a distinct quality difference. I also see
1: a distinct amount of disdain in one of these books for uh, what has to be written. And maybe I'm reading into it, but it kind of feels like I'm not.
0: No, uh, because I... I see it too this, it's, it's a mojo right there story on the page. So
1: it invites it invites you to draw these inferences because it is yeah. by definition a meta commentary story let's start here's the best part of these honestly the best part adam okay those those art Adams covers on that sure like,
0: that double double cover for the first part of this so good well uh, keep in mind that that is technically, there's three of the six issues have Art Adams covers. They are all part right, of Right, because he was the one... cover artist for Blue. Right. And they are all one piece. So... No, you... no. Uh, the Gold
1: the gold and Blue are one piece, but the... Uh, oh, there is like a fourth cover. 13s. Where, right.
0: Yeah, we're... we're um, yeah, 13s and, and then the Blue them.
1: 14 and 15 are different.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. But... The the three connecting covers are all part of, of one piece. Um and yeah, man, those are great covers. I wish that the insides like uh really had as much fun as those covers are having. <laughs> They're one not one thing
1: that people don't remember about Gold and Blue is that these were coming out bi weekly. So oh, this is a six right. part series, but it came out over like just six weeks.
0: Yeah. Like it was yeah. bam, 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 bam. it it doesn't help. Um, the story still feels incredibly bloated and takes way too long because there is nothing of substance here. Um, what Mojo does here is he launches a host of, um, I guess, obelisks down into New York city where our X-Men have crossed over and are for the second time in X-Men gold playing baseball Um, so there's your Marvel legacy right there, I guess. And Hey, remember Adam, do you remember
1: right around this time? And I think we talked about this the last time we talked about X-Men gold. Do you remember how much they were pushing the X-Men play baseball again?
0: A lot of baseball. because It
1: it happens. It happened at the end of extraordinary. It happens. Mm -hmm. The first issue of gold. It happens by the 12th issue of gold. And in the, end of all new X-Men they were like oh well let's not do baseball let's do a dance party (laughs) freaking weird man they didn't play baseball that much it was like (laughs) once every five years to open a scene and it was fun yep
0: yep uh so here it feels very regressive it feels very stupid um and especially because there is I'm, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Googs one kudos here which is he has, he
1: has uh, old man Logan and Jimmy Hudson sitting watching the baseball game, and they just kind of, like, acknowledge each other's existence and think, I don't want to freaking deal with whatever this is.
0: Okay, but this that setup is a great example of the kind of things that are switching back and forth as dynamics in between these two books that feel like the other writer doesn't like and or appreciate, but feels a little bit like grumpy about having to keep doing right. Like there's a couple of these things like Kurt and Rachel and Jimmy and Logan that like, you kind of get the sense that maybe Colin Bunn just ain't on board for. And yet, Kind of has an editorial mandate to like make sure these things still are appearing in the scripts. <laughs> I I don't want to put words into Cullen Bud's mouth. No, but you I'm, can go
1: I'm back to our guessing. interview with Cullen Bud, and I back. And this was late twenty eighteen, maybe maybe early twenty eighteen. Cullen Bud has some mixed feelings about his ending of time on X Men, and specifically what he had to do to make X Men Blue exist and keep a job right and that comes through here oh sure Uh, what else because he it feels like what what mojo does is he makes the x-men play their greatest hits very literally does a days of future past and inferno just the greatest hits of the x-men
0: yep yeah they're fighting in these simulated spaces it's appearing that some of them are dying even though they're not and throughout Hey, the idea is it
1: wild that Bloodstorm that Bloodstorm gets impaled by one of Ahab's spears twice in a, like, year one year period? Because I forgot that that happens in this comic, too.
0: I did have to reread it because I was like, wait, doesn't this happen in Exterminated? And then I was like, oh, right, this is fake. Okay, yep, now I remember. It's wild that it was the exact same way.
1: Uh, but yeah. here's the thing. Guggenheim is playing this completely straight, just like, yeah, don't you guys want to have a a clip show of all of these better X-Men stories? Yeah. And I'll tell you, the answer is no. No, no, Uh, thank you. I do not. It's also interesting when Bunn opens up his first issue and has Mojo speaking to the audience and essentially saying, says the X-Men fans feel like they're actually oppressed (laughs) <laughs> yes. it's like they they pretend to be oppressed like these are real yes. people and this is a real thing and it's one of the funniest things i've ever read in
0: a comic uh see because this, that is I, one of the best examples of how cullen is actually injecting a little bit of like acidic wit into his script whereas gook's script is like my god it's bad like just these it's just nothing bland one word like things that are that are being spewed out by the characters that add nothing to the story and so you've got these backdrops of these old arcs and i mean my gosh i guess there are supposed to be some things about character growth here you know he's still pushing this idea well there are things that he's pushing like Rachel being disturbed about being in days of future past. Right. But that doesn't go anywhere. Um, Colin is pushing the whole idea that like the other team is going to be mad that the X-Men blue is working with Magneto. That also still okay. feels a little disingenuous, but
1: I don't Again, know. I think, okay, that part, that part's wild to me. And that's the most like, feels like editorial. And I don't want to, Assign anything to anyone specifically, but it feels like no Magneto's a bad guy, right? Like that's the legacy, and you have Kitty Pride. By the end of this, like, oh, you guys are working with Magneto. He's Magneto. He's super evil. And I was just would be like, Catherine, like two years ago, two years ago, you were hanging out with him, like as friends, living in the same base.
0: Well, and the story contradicts itself because, like, Colossus is like, hey, remember when you were stranded in space and that guy brought you back? Like, so the script itself is acknowledging that that little animosity doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, And of course, it's so
1: wild that they're trying to play Magneto as a villain villain in this because it does not work.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and because you know the vast majority of the storyline are these simulated sequences, it it has no bite. Um, you know, we finally get to this point where I guess Mojo is in the real world and things have stakes, but it doesn't happen until like the last issue, really. Um, and then it all just wraps yeah. up, and you know, the big stinger at the end is supposed to be that what Mojo is like, what trapped on Earth or.
1: Yeah, and he set up Earth thing, so now there's Mojo Worldwide, Wide, Wide, Wide,
0: Yeah, and wide. it's like, okay. I mean, that might be interesting if, like, anybody cared, but... Colin Bunn really cleans
1: gonna... it up in his last issue of X-Men Blue is what he yeah. does.
0: Right, but, like, you know, this isn't going to have a lot of staying power uh, because there's it's so ephemeral, you know? Like, I'm reading these issues and it just feels... Feels like a non-story in a way that uh, they they could not have written something that felt like it had less stakes, you know. Like it, there's so much potential here for interesting stuff. You know, they they try and reintroduce Longshot as someone who's you know interested in maybe he's more of like a a social media kind of guy, but at the same time. It's meaningless. It, it doesn't do anything. He's like a streamer, but then he only talks in movie quotes, which is annoying.
1: That's the most annoying thing.
0: Right. That's what Bumblebee does in the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Like, we can do better than that, you know? Um, yeah. It just doesn't how do you, add anything to do you think, the, the the story of, of what Mojo and Mojoverse is all about.
1: I think one other thing that really hurts this is a lot of artistic inconsistency because you have you have Jorge Molina on uh, the X-Men Blue issues on all three. And I think Molina Uh does a fairly solid job. I actually don't like his mojo, but that's more of a stylistic thing than anything else. Sure. But on gold, you have Mike Mayhew, of all people, Mark Lamming and Diego Bernard. Yeah, it's bad. It's. It's so inconsistent, and I get that, you know what, maybe, because Gold was supposed to, I think, have three artists trading off arcs, and maybe with the Adrian Seoff stuff, it really, really screwed up everything, because uh, it was supposed to be like Lashley and Arby Silva and Sioff yep, and doing like three issue things, uh, but end of the day, that didn't happen. So I don't know, maybe that screwed up everything and that's why gold takes forever to get any level of consistency even if it's consistently bad.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean especially that first issue is just it just looks so glossy and sheen. Uh it has this sheen. Well that's you like style. It's, yeah, see? but it 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 doesn't fit what it is that it's trying to tell. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely uh,
1: not. It's yeah. it's just like in my mind when you hire Mike Mayhew for a book, like you just you know what you're getting. He's right. he is not changed. No. He is what he is.
0: Yeah. So some very poor choices, I think there, and the fact that it is a week uh, coming out biweekly, right? And this thing is like happening so fast. You can also see shortcuts as we go along, right? So there are tons of scenes where Mojo is appearing on a monitor. And folks, it doesn't matter who the artist is, they're copying and pasting either one artist or another artist's mojo face. And it's on every TV and it's happening on multiple pages in every issue. So like by the end, you've seen this one image of mojo, like you must've seen it like 25, 30 times. It's, it's just you can see the shortcuts that are being taken as this is being created to tell a story that didn't need to be more than three issues at the most.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it sucks. Yeah. And yeah, I don't un- know, Adam, why you made, made us read this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you would do this to us.
0: after Listen, All I in-
1: did for you last week.
0: Oh, right, right, right. It had been a while since I had checked this out and, you know, one of the things that I, th- I like to do on this show is sort of go back and reconsider things. Um, but this does not work, you know, and it's a real shame because I do think that you can see the strength of what Bun is doing occasionally. You know, there are moments where like, you know, Polaris, Magneto and Danger are kind of fun to hang out with. And there are mostly other scenes where we're just trotting around with these characters that have no real interest in being together. There's no real primer or reason against what they're fighting against. So at the end of the day, it it doesn't seem to make a difference what happens at the end of any issue. So I don't care. I literally... As I was reading it, I could not care less about what was
1: going on in X-Men Gold. And then somehow Negative Zone War won me back. And I do kind of want to go back and reread Negative Zone War again to think, hey, was like something there? Because I found out Negative Zone War is like what Guggenheim pitched. So maybe it was yeah. like he only had one story and it was that. And he was really excited for that. And everything else was filler, uh, well, I which I could tell almost you something- believe.
0: Something else that that Guggenheim is always excited about. And look who's in this story. Ink. Showing up. We did this last time. We did this last
1: time uh, that Ink uh, appeared where we counted how many Ink stories Mark Guggenheim didn't write. It's
0: pretty amazing. His commitment to this very stupid character really does suck. So um, this is worse than the Claremont by far, I think. Is this I, I agree. Is this worse than X-Men Gold 1 to
1: 3 Back to Basics? And let's be clear, we're counting the Back to Basics as the edited version without the weird political subliminal messaging. Just the content as it is.
0: Yeah, I I think there is just a smidge of like Cullen Bunn's wit to raise it above... That I don't know if we're that bad, but we worse like, than Axis. Yeah, like we're in that realm. Like 800 <laughs> right now is Axis the way we've ranked it, and you know, I I'm just looking around. Um, I I think we're on par with something like Typhoid Fever at 791. You know, something that just feels very editorial in terms of just making writers do something. Um, that is a pitch that no one's interested in. And yet it's still tasked to take up all this space. So I think we're in that I would category. put it
1: below typhoid fever. Mm-hmm. I would put it below that. I would definitely put it below 792 Uncanny X-Men Sacred Vows. That's Polaris's wedding. Oh, uh, yeah. And that story's not good. But I will say this for Chuck Austin. He put 100% into everything that he did he did he never chuck austin never has half-assed his stuff uh
0: (laughs) i think this is a touch like what he put in i want to be clear i wish he would have
1: but he never
0: did no um this is a touch better than 795 uh mark guggenheim's young x-men one to five i think this is better than that
1: okay but is this better than gene gray learning learning kung fu psychically to fight ninjas no
0: so this can be our new 795
1: yeah right below uncanny x-men first class volume one number four gene and the daughters of the dragon is mojo worldwide why why
0: again i was trying
1: to do a Step Brothers thing there and then it turned into a max headroom thing again i did i've never even watched max headroom i'm gonna be honest adam that's I okay. know Max
0: Headroom more from Spaceballs than anything else. That Listen, it's it was a peculiar 80s-like thing. You, you don't really have to know about it. Um, and we've got one last mojo story. Um, and this is coming to us from Kelly Thompson and uh, Jan Baldassua. And um, this is... Mr. and Mrs. X. What are the issues on this? This is nine to seven
1: through 10. It's called Honeymoon Lighting. All right. Or Gambit of Rogue Forever, excuse me. This is a weird book, right?
0: I remember when Mr. and Mrs. X uh, came out that I was uh, really interested in its first arc, which involved Xandra. Uh, Right, and we we learned that Professor X and Lalandra had a child. Then there was a really good issue right after that, where they were all just hanging out at Gambit's apartment for like majority. Well, it was of the their issue. apartment with the cats. Yeah, 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 right. I know what you're talking about. That's a fun one. And then this is where the book kind of slides a little bit, right? Because we get this multi-issue. Ah! No, you say it slides you have
1: stronger feelings about the quality of the first five issues of this book than I do and go back to our other Mr. And Mrs. X episode for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, the difference in quality between the Rogan Gambit mini series that came before it and Mr. And Mrs. X is a a pretty sizable gap, right? Um, all I'm saying is I think I was at least a little more interested in what was going on with the book. What, unfortunately happens when Kelly brings in this Mojo verse stuff is that she falls into, I think the Mojo trap. And that is that Mojo should be more because Mojo worldwide does the same thing should be more than Mojo, just spinning a wheel and throwing characters into either an old story or in this case, a different genre of story. And unfortunately, Kelly does this for like two out of the four issues um, instead of getting to what I think is actually a kind of interesting plot point towards the end of this story, which is what Kelly always seems most interested in is exploring rogue as a character. And in this particular case, she's exploring a canonical part of rogues trauma that I think is kind of interesting to call back, especially for this story. But I don't know that all of this like works. I I don't think it ties together in a neat bow. That's the thing.
1: it super doesn't. Kelly does some stuff with uh, like Spiral in this as well, where Spiral gets part of her soul back, but her soul looks to Gambit like a baby that becomes a cliffhanger. And I'll tell you what, bud, if I had a nickel, for every time <laughs> Kelly Thompson introduces a baby in her 12 issue, Mr. And Mrs. X series. I would have three nickels, which isn't a lot, a lot but it's weird that it happens three times. It's Xandra, <laughs> It's this baby spiral. That's actually part of spiral soul. And she says, Hey, it's interesting that you're seeing that as a baby gambit. And then it's freaking Kandra. Uh, <laughs> in the last arc of this, that people forget what? they, She's not a baby. She is a toddler, though. Right. Uh, that she gets resurrected. It's weird. Uh It. I. I think it's interesting that she wants to go to some of like the the assault that Rogue deals with in the initial Genosha arc, but also I feel like that is subtextual, and like you have to infer that in the initial Genosha arc, and then. You have to not directly and explicitly reference it in this arc, which feels like is not doing the service that those kind of stories really deserve. I feel like it it tries and is not able to give it the space or the time that it really needs. So it ends a little flat. And I feel like that's <laughs> common along this arc it, because I feel like every character's emotional arc feels just a little flat and underdone
0: it's an interesting uh, choice, right? To make this call back to that first Genosha arc and to like, you're saying it's not making explicit what happened in that scene, but it's also suggesting that rogue was traumatized enough by it that she's still hanging on to that and that it's affecting how she is in the present. Which, I think that to be that- fair, that's, that's textual in what Claremont's doing because that's when Carol
1: Danvers takes over for the rest of the arc. Yes.
0: Yes. And I think that that could be a really interesting callback. The fact that it's happening here at the end of this goofy story, you know, where we're spending a lot of time. Oh, it's them as a noir. It's them as a Western. It's them as this, you know, and it just, that, those two things don't add up, you know, when you're trying to talk about something a little bit more seriously and you're putting it at the tail end of something that is not serious and is, is quite goofy. It, it, it doesn't work. I think the other thing that really doesn't work here for me is if spiral is going to get back pieces of her soul to what end, you know, like, we don't really quite understand what the goal of that is. Is the goal to get back to being Rita is the goal to escape Mojo's control. And how many pieces are there? Like, do we have an idea of what our end goal there is? And, and I don't know the answers to those questions because all I know is that she needed a good thief to steal this thing. And it doesn't that I need more. It, it's a good start, but I need more. It
1: it's part of a larger trend that I see in a lot of comics and I I see in uh CN Thompson's Mr. and Mrs. X that feels very fan servicey, that feels very I wanna tie all of this up. I wanna turn this character that I think is cool and really just make her a good guy now. And we gotta stop we're running out of bad guys in X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Guys. I, I mean, we've, we've taken all the good ones already and made them into heroes. Can like, we were talking about that Magneto thing earlier. Magneto's a great villain. We already made him into a good guy. It's so we can't like convincingly use him as a bad guy anymore. Don't do that to spiral a character who mostly exists to have six arms and be kind of cool. <laughs> Just, I get it. I read, I've read, i read the stories. I've read them. But can we just let Spiral dance? Can we just let her, like, do her thing? I don't get it, man. Yeah, I don't know. I,
0: I agree. I, I think that there's definitely... And maybe I'm um, reading into it a little bit because
1: this is, by Kelly Thompson's admission, her OTP getting married and then having sexy adventures together and then constantly talking about, hint, hint, we're going to have a baby, uh, which... I have three kids. I don't need everybody having babies. We have enough. We have enough superhero (laughs) babies. Yes, you guys keep doing bad stories and getting rid of the babies until you can be trusted with a baby. You guys can have no more babies. Use the babies you already have. And I I think stop turning them into dragons. Stop sending them into the future. Utilize your existing floor babies because you know Krakoa is not dealing with those floor babies very well, given everything that's going on. You know we're not talking you have about existing that babies. again. Come on. <laughs> oh, bud, I'm never going to not talk about the floor babies. No, no. Just I mean, the comics
0: are never going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Come on. That's going to be a complete forgotten. Like, please.
1: I will never. Adam, I swear to you on this very podcast, I will never forget the floor babies of Fun Island.
0: Nor should we. It was a terrible, terrible thing that happened in a comic. I mean, come on. What the hell was that all about? <laughs> but uh, I totally agree form, with you.
1: Too much sex. They had babies and they just slipped them on the floor.
0: It's one of the most ridiculous <laughs> and offensive things I think has ever been in Marvel comic. It's but, just
1: comic, comics creators, comics creators. Use the babies you already have before introducing new babies, please.
0: Yes. And I'm glad that, that Teenie kind of nipped this, uh, this, this arc in, in the bud when she got a hold of the characters in a very smart, intelligent and adult way um and tasteful
1: so, like that was a that was a way that leaves it open for the future but
0: saying hey look right now i don't want to have kids and you are right. that's a very good and valid choice exactly it was a very mature way to handle that build-up and um i want hey, more we, here i i don't how hate... do
1: we feel about uh jan bazadula's art in this because i like jan's work in general like <laughs> yeah, she's a I, good that... hand
0: for marvel That's what I wanted to talk about next. Um, You know, Jen's uh, one of the current, like, I I really dislike the, the, the idea that they use the norm, the name Stormbreakers for their, um, they're like, you know, rising stars. Um, But I think of it, I think
1: of it exclusively in beta Ray bill terms. And that helps me sleep at night.
0: There we go. I like that. That's Um,
1: what what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Adam. They're so comics brained that, that they cannot think of the cultural context in which Stormbreakers or any overt Norse stuff could be taken right now.
0: Yeah. So that aside, um, I think Bazzaldo's art is, is fantastic. I think there are times when it is a little too pretty and it, it lacks uh, at least in this arc, cause I've, I've, I've seen it on and off depending on, on, you know, which issue we're talking about. It sometimes lacks uh location, you know, like sometimes it's difficult to necessarily tell where our characters are, but I'm also very understanding about that because this is one of those stories where, where are we, you know what I mean? Like so much of where the characters are is specific to the mojo verse and it's all fantasies. So things could change like from panel to panel. So little understanding about that, but um I mean overall very talented artist.
1: Yeah, pretty uh pretty pretty solid. Uh so I think this arc is mixed. Uh where do we have that first Mr. and Mrs. X arc? Uh it's at 253. This is way worse than that.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I don't I think of our three stories though. This is probably my favorite just because I think it's But this least- is trying something you know like it's i agree yeah but like long shot
1: is at 344 and this is worse than that
0: oh yeah yeah no i still don't think this should rank that high because i don't know how much it's really accomplishing what it's setting out to do i think it's a good looking book is this
1: better or worse than x babies at 453
0: oh gosh i think this is this is probably worse than that i mean
1: yeah and this doesn't have baby maggot in it
0: no, and it's it's just light on content. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking down the list. I mean, I'm wondering if this if this goes. I think this is elite, you know probably a 500s book, um, but it could probably. I don't know if this is worse. This than, is is better, this worse than the Muir Island Saga at 588.
1: No, it's not worse than the Muir Island Saga. What are you talking about? Al? All right, all this right, is so not worse we'll... than Deadly Genesis at 524. Okay. All right. Uh, so I would say there. that this is actually better than the Magma and Mephisto date in New Mutants at 509, but I could oh, be persuaded
0: otherwise. Okay. Okay. No, I like that. Um, I think
1: we are right around 500. We're in the right spot. You and me are like picking through right here. I can see it on the Excel sheet. We're yeah, yeah. flicking so, around and thinking, hmm, what about this one? What about this? Better one? or worse than Death? I would say
0: Max. I think. Death of X is probably a little better than this.
1: Uh... I would say Death of X at 501 is better. The Magus arc of New Mutants at 47 to 50 is probably better. But I think this is better than Generation Hex at 305 or 503.
0: Okay. All right. So this is going to be our new 503. Mr. and Mrs. X 7 to 10. You know, I don't like to apologize for our picks. I don't. So I'm not going to. You know, I think I'm not because
1: I've seen what our our listeners on Patreon have picked for (laughs) upcoming shows and they are worse. Worse is the wrong word. We have some real fun stuff coming up. Really fun stuff. Yeah, Um, I want to give a shout out to our current, our most recent pickers on Patreon who have picked out stories because y'all are enabling us. Yes, that's what we need. Every every re- every one of the, like the last five requests i have responded with a oh hell yeah or sickos <laughs> colon yes yeah it's so chalk a block with wild picks and yes folks five dollars keep them coming <laughs> folks seriously though patrons keep up keep up the good work and if yeah. you folks if you think that you can outflex our patreon subscribers over the next few weeks of stupid insane stories that they want us to rank that count as excellent stories bonkers. explicitly but enable us to do dumb stuff after that go over to the patreon.com slash battle the adam and you can throw a couple of uh dollars our way and then we'll do it we'll do it that's right i'm that's right i have i have been frequently texting adam about how wild the list is about to get and i'm so happy
0: and every time i look i it just puts a big smile on my face um so Zach, anything uh going on in your world that you want to tell the world about?
1: That's a great question, Adam. No.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh folks, you what can always you? follow. Yeah, you can always follow me on socials, uh Adam Rec on Insta and Blue Sky, Arthur Stacey on Twitter. And Zach, what craziness are we getting up to next week?
1: You know what, Adam? Next week, next week
0: we are talking about Count P- Nefaria! Whoa. Oh, this This is a story I've been I that I think we've been talking about talking about for a very long time and I can't believe it's actually happening.
1: But it's happening and it's amazing. But until then, folks, this has been Bow the Iron. We hope you survived the experience.